0: Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining myself in the room today is Rene Schulte, Director of Global Innovation at Valorim Reply and leader of the spatial computing and Metaverse practice at Reply. Welcome to the show, Renee.
1: Hello and thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: I wish that our listeners will be able to see Rene with, with this really cool background and, and him disappearing um, a little bit while ago. We need to, perhaps one of these days, do a, do a video recording of this. But um, before we start, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how do you end up doing what you're focusing on right now? I would say the cutting edge of technology.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I'm, I spare you the kindergarten times, but uh, I studied uh, media and computer science and I was always fascinated with computer graphics, especially real-time 3D computer graphics, but also physical simulation and all these kind of things. And then around, I don't know, more than 10 years ago, probably 15 or so, um, I started to uh, use the um, famous AR toolkit, which was one of the first augmented reality SDKs. A few folks might remember, if you have seen these um, black rectangles, these, the markers, basically, this was the AR toolkit, the beginning of AR pretty much, and did a few, uh, a little bit of work there, and uh, long story short, and then, in 2015 when microsoft came out with the hololens the head-mounted device you know the holographic device if you'll well it's not a real holographic device but it's a head-mounted device that provides mixed reality or augmented reality in a sense and uh, we were one of the first uh, companies to work with that uh, one of the first agencies working in that space and uh, built a couple of really uh, cool um stuff there and uh, yeah since then You know, always uh, it's just natural leads from AR and then into VR and then, you know, the metaverse terminology and, you know, all of these things are now coming together. And, you know, the building blocks are becoming real and so that we can all put it together for the bigger picture. But I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit further about it. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much me. I'm also doing a lot of speaking engagements and, you know, being on stage and talking about, uh, you know, all of the things that I just mentioned, like VR, AR, metaverse. All, all things related i'm also doing another video podcast um, called meta minutes um and yeah you know a few things there and uh, for this i'm also being honored from for microsoft with an award called the mvp which stands for typical american right like most valuable professional for mixed reality so i'm an mvp for mixed reality as well as quantum computing since this year and the regional director also with microsoft um because you know i love to share the knowledge and, and spread the word and you know just just love this technology and you know talk with people about it and that's why we ended up here
2: <laughs> awesome renee so um just to give a little bit of a background for our uh, listeners renee and i sat on a panel a few weeks ago and uh, he kind of really um, did something not just funny but also cool uh, he emerged from the metaverse and went back into the metaverse at the end of the conversation. So it was pretty cool um, video tech that he has there in front of uh, in front of him. Um, I wish we could show you that. But in terms of going back to the metaverse narrative itself, Rene, um, of course, there's lots of AR, VR folks who who've kind of embarked on the metaverse narrative now. But where does the uh, the narrative around meta- metaverse where they say this is the next internet where does that leap come from so what in your view is a metaverse and how does that leap into the new definition of internet how do you bridge that gra- uh, uh, gap
1: rather yeah oh, that's a great question and i like the definition that actually Gardner uh, released um where they define the uh, the metaverse of this collective shared space where you have the convergence of virtually uh, enhanced with physical reality so you have digital and physical reality and i think this is an important piece that it's not just pure virtual because if it's just purely virtual well we don't have like it's pretty much similar than all the online games we have today like you know fortnite minecraft and so on all these large uh, multiplayer online games where you have these big virtual worlds right and so connecting the the physical world is a very important part and in fact like When I do a talk about metaverse, I use typically the the term like metaverse embedding the real world into computing, because we also want to bring in this. And another very important aspect is it is device independent, persistence, and it's providing an immersive experience. And device independent is really key because we need to be able to use these experiences with whatever device. And so although I come from the VR and AR like background with all these devices, um, the metaverse needs to be accessible for anyone with any device so this also means mobile web desktop whatever right and persistence is also another key attribute because i need to be able to save the state right like well you cannot see it here but i have a a coffee cup in my hand and if i hold the coffee cup in my hand and i put it on my table here and then you know i come back like let's say this is a virtual world right and i come back to this virtual world a a week later the coffee cup still needs to be there because this is how the real world behaves which from the technology standpoint also uh, brings out a lot of, um, you know, resource intensive computations, but also state saving, right? You need to save a lot of state. And that is, of course, uh, requiring a lot of kind of um, the um, computational power. And so to come back to your question, um, you know, there's this kind of a narrow view, uh, which we sometimes hear today. is like when the metaverse is just being used as a new term for on VR, um, but there's a better broader view. And this is saying basically, this is the new immersive internet. And if you want to put it in one sentence, uh, the Metaverse is the new immersive internet, but you can go into it with virtual worlds, virtual reality, or it can come to you with augmented reality, right?
0: I like that a lot. I think it's probably one of the most rounded explanation in normal human terms I've heard of because in in this space in particular, um and, and I'm very, very newbie into this in the room where he dragged me into it. The my first reaction was, I feel like we need a whole set of new dictionary for all the terminology. Some of them yeah. seems English, but Wait a minute. What are you talking about? So I I love this and, and thank you so much for laying it out in 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 a way that I can actually understand. Um I do want to ask you though in the very beginning you talked about building blocks, right? you talked about this being the next generation a more immersive um internet. Do you think we have all of the basic building blocks that we need for that to go mainstream? So, you know, in another words, it's something that you know, people like me, I can get into, or people like in our space, because in financial services, there, there are a lot of folks who said, wait a minute, what is the metaverse? What can banks do to it? And, and they end up buying a plot of land and put in this, I don't even know, a virtual branch, if you will, with, with some person's portraits and say, here you go, we are in it. But, but, but that's not what we're looking for. So what are we talking about in here? what do we need to do?
1: Yeah, that's a it's a very important thing you mentioned because we, we see it a lot these days that, you know, companies acquire virtual land buy virtual land plots in in various decentralized platforms. And we can we can dive a little bit deeper into these kind of different platforms uh, later. But basically, you know, people want to be there like they don't want to miss the boat, if you will. Uh, but sometimes to be honest, a lot of these experiences we see and, you know, I tried a few of those and you come there and you really scratch your head. Like, what is the purpose? Right. <laughs> it's like, why, why have you built it this way? And, and why is it that? And what, what are you trying to achieve here? Um, what I see a lot is a lot of marketing at the moment. Right. And, um, so it's important also for, of course, financial institutes as well. Of course, they got to be present there. Um, and it's important, but also to, to bring in the right brand and to provide an experience to the user that makes sense and adds value and not just because hey we cannot miss it we need to be there and that's sometimes what i see a little bit not on the right spot at the moment but again it's like you know folks like us that gotta advise these uh, these uh, clients to to make the right decisions to buy the the right virtual land plot in the right platform and you know how to design the experience so it makes sense for users and it's not just a pure, hey, we have something there, but hey, I don't know what to do with it. And to, to come to your other question, and, and of course, you know, everyone wants to be there. Um, you know, Godmore for example, is saying 25% of the population will spend at least one hour per day in four years by 2026, right? Um, so we'll see how that turns out. But of course, that's quite a lot. And uh, if you include all these online games like Fortnite and so on, that's easy to achieve with one hour per day, right? If you consider how many folks play it. Um, Also, McKinsey said um, it's a 5 trillion trillion US dollar opportunity by 2030. And they also said it's simply too big to be ignored. And uh, that's, I think, a very interesting aspect. And, um, you know, a company that doesn't have a Metaverse presence in the future will probably similar to be a company that doesn't have a website today, right? So you might not want to do business with them if you kind of find them with a website. And so that might happen in the future, too. Uh, but to come back to your question, like the building blocks, I think like most of them are there, um, at least uh, the, the key pieces are here, right? And I really appreciate the uh, the definition with the seven layers of the metaverse by John Redoff, where he basically laid out these seven building blocks. And uh, the first one is the infrastructure part, right? Well, like 5G, Wi-Fi 6, like basically fast internet connectivity is one important aspect. We have this. Uh, we have the human interface aspect that is that is coming to be more accessible for everyone, which means is we have smaller form factor AR or glasses, right? We can have, of course, you can use mobile devices in the, in the meantime, I mean, like smartphones and so on, um, because AR or glasses are also basically mobile devices, right? You just have a different form factor, but they're too bulky. And so it's coming. We see a lot of signals in that direction. Um Decentralization is, of course, also a very important building block, um, you know, blockchain technology, NFTs and, and all of that stuff is, of course, very much relevant when we're talking about metaverse and you know, asset transfer between each other. And then we have the whole aspect of spatial computing and other building blocks, right? We have augmented, we have mixed reality, mainly driven by artificial intelligence and computer vision, like, you know, algorithms that can analyze your surroundings and can provide you contextual information based on that. We have the creator economy, right? If you look at all the the big players um, and the Metaverse platform they're releasing, but also of course the the smaller platforms, the startups and so on, every one of them has some kind of a creator tool or creator story, like a low-code, no-code story where you can design custom experiences, like look in Roblox, for example, right? Roblox often seen as a game, but it's actually much more than that. It's actually a low-code, no-code platform because you can build these exciting experiences uh, with it. But also Sandbox, just to name a few, right, from decentralized world. Uh, They also have these uh, cool creator tools, uh, but also, you know, outspace and also Meta. They also have these kind of, to a certain degree, right, with Horizon Worlds, you can build quite some stuff there with writing no line of code. Uh, But long story short, the creator economy is an important part, and it should not be just purely developers like myself, right? Like, you you don't need to understand how to write code to be able to create great experiences in the metaverse and and this is definitely a big trend and a few are already there for sure and then the the two last one are discovery and experience and uh, you know another very important building block of course when we're thinking about the monetization aspects like we have ad networks we have social media we can tie into this for the discovery port Uh, but also you can build various different experiences on top of it it could be game it could be enterprise collaboration right like I don't know, like meeting and immersive meeting and so on. And you can build these branded corporate spaces in public, but also for private events and so on. And uh, yeah, long story short, I think the building blocks are there and the the key are definitely the devices are coming. Uh, We have AI with really amazing breakthroughs that enable a lot of of things. And then then the decentralization aspect as well.
2: That's great, Renee, and you provide us the, a lot of content and a lot of names. So let's take some of the names that I'm particularly interested in. So let's take Roblox, for an example. I think they've got a very, uh, very good use case and they've started the, or they have actually proven the concept of creator's economy at, in some sense of scale. However, if you look at some of their 2021 numbers, about 25% of the value created on the platform. Goes to the creators. The rest of the money, I think they made about two billion or something, of which half a mil- half a billion went to the creators. The remaining one point five, nearly one point five billion, went to um, went to the company itself. And you also, if you look at some of the uh, web three versions of the metaverse, be it Sandbox or Decentraland, mm-hmm. the the quality of the experience, the the, the experience is not there. Um, you don't get the same Fortnite experience. But if you go to Fortnite. You don't really get the creator's economy element at all so nobody's getting it right so far so in your in your vision of the metaverse are there any players out there whom you think they've got all the different building blocks that i really
1: am looking for in a in a metaverse story yeah well that's a that's a tough one because i think there's none of them at the moment that has all of them in a perfect shape because we have to imagine, or we have to realize that we're just really at the infancy. We're at the beginning of this, and you know, predictions say, like, like I said, you know, uh, McKinsey is saying five trillion by 2030. So, long way to go there. Um, but the building blocks are coming together. I think really the sandbox. Um, I was actually talking with Sebastian Bourget, the um, COO of Sandbox, and uh, my own uh, kind of uh, shameless plug here in the Meta Minutes uh, podcast, video podcast. <laughs> I was talking with Sebastian uh, from Sandbox, and he explained to me really well the the kind of opportunity we have with decentralization of course, and the um you know the, the, the being able to um, own your assets and being able to also prove that we have the blockchain and you do all these asset transfer but i strongly i you're fully right like you know there's like if you go to these kind of platforms at the moment you can find certain experiences there um but it's not super engaging and uh, the folks are still missing, right? It's like, where are all the people? I mean, you have a few that are trying it out, uh, but again, it's the beginning. And I think what, what is really a, going to be a, um, an, a very important aspect to make it a realization is that uh, we get the right experiences in there that really attract users because um, like we we can, of course not force like certain headsets or certain things on users. they need to come there. And if you look at certain social media platforms, I mean they attract users with um, certain you know kind of s- special, unique op- things they are doing. Uh, if we're looking at the the rather the big players of the uh, the metaverse and when I say big players, I mean big tech companies like uh, Microsoft, Meta, Google, Amazon, whatnot. Uh, Not all of them are super active in that space, but surely Meta or aka Facebook is um, very active with their Horizon brand and they're building some some really interesting stuff there um, for collaboration, like workrooms, for example, from Meta is really interesting. We did a bunch of tests with various platforms. Uh, We had like a dozen people all joining with VR headsets and had these immersive meetings ongoing um but also the same thing as with altspace from microsoft altspace vr and soon to come um, microsoft mesh for teams and again you can have these collaboration you have different aspects you can do with these kind of platforms from the big tech companies like again mesh for teams from microsoft as an example uh it's really interesting how you can do collaboration and like i said we did a bunch of experiments we tested all all these platforms uh with my group here and it was around a dozen people that joined via vr headset And I can tell you, I remember much, much more from these meetings. And that is the one aspect that is really important is our human brain works spatially. And that's a really interesting aspect, which means is I can remember things or can connect to things in the real world much better if I see them in a room, like spatially, right? 3D, we have stereo vision, uh, but also we have stereo audio, not just stereo audio, but a thing called spatial sound or spatial audio, which allows me to hear where a person in a room is talking. So again, we have all these virtual headsets on or all these virtual meeting space, like an alt space or whatever. And then we can hear if someone is talking over there and I need, I turn my head. And so I have spatial vision, I have spatial audio. We're also working on some haptic stuff where I can touch virtual objects. Smell and taste will still take a little bit longer, of course, but there's also interesting experiments but these things help, right? We have spatial sound, we have spatial vision to remember much more from these meetings. And it's not just also, it's full field of vision, right? You put on the device and you have, you're fully immersed. Like there's no, like, it's not just like a small post stamp window in WebEx or Zoom or Teams or so, but it's your full immersion. And I think for enterprise collaboration, not for all meetings, but for certain meetings, there's truly a, quite a benefit, especially if you, if you have globally distributed teams and you can do much more engaging things. Um, you have also have hand tracking with certain devices. So you can use your hands naturally just as a normal meeting. You would do, you know, like for myself, while well, you cannot see it on video, but I'm a person that uses the hands a lot to explain things and being able to use that also if in VR where your avatar hands are also moving like a real hands. This is providing a lot of interesting aspects to make these kind of immersive meetings and this kind of remote or hybrid work we live in now a much more immersive and, um, yeah, get a lot of benefits out of this.
0: I can definitely see certain aspects of it. That that's really fascinating. Like, like you, I talk with my hands and I always smack the desk whenever I talk. Um, and I would love, although as much as I want immersive experience though, I would love to be able to walk through it with just a huge giant screen in front of me and not require me to wear a headset. Like anything that I have to put on for six hours a day, I think that would just kill me. Um, So there there are still things, you know, I think from a technology perspective and also from a mental um, perspective, I think we need to walk through. Curious to know, though, if you have a crystal ball, and I think you do hiding it somewhere in the back, um, what do you think are some of the major hurdles? I think, from a broader perspective, that we still need to overcome to make this um, to make to have more people adapt and adopt it, and to make it more mainstream.
1: Yeah, that's a, also very a good question. Uh, I will answer it in a moment, but just to come back to your like kind of sentiment about like I'm not going to wear a headset the whole day. Of course, like no one is going to do this, right? Like let's let's not kid ourselves. Like these devices we have today are way too bulky and off uh, an our meeting, that's fine. You can do one of those, but it's good. Like then you really want to put it off and get some fresh air or like things like this, right? really um, do something else. And so you're not going to wear these the whole day. Uh, But that's also not the um, the intent, actually, right? It's just an extension. It's not a replacement, but it's an extension for certain things. But then also, if we look a little bit future, and uh, the crystal ball is also telling me a little bit that um, we have these volumetric displays that are emerging. I have one here on my desk. It's that small. It's not that big. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe like a, a photo frame. Uh, but it's a volumetric uh, photo frame, which means it can show me 3D content without having to wear any glasses. So I don't have to put on like uh, any, not even the ones you might know from the cinema or the movie, right? Where these pole filter glasses, nothing like this is needed. Just like your normal eyes, you can see 3D content. Of course, the, the viewing angle is a little bit limited with these kind of devices, uh, but there are companies, like a few companies working in that space. and And one of them is actually planning to build these at large scale, think about um, cinema size scale or a mall, right? So basically the whole wall, and this is where we're getting into sci-fi movies we have seen, uh, where, for example, the room where you're in, like the walls, these are all these displays, right? So you don't need to put on any glasses, but you can have like, um, you know, hollow. It's not real holograms from a a physics standpoint, but you have these projections basically in your space that look like holograms and... uh, it's coming, it will still take a little, lot of years, but uh, we're getting there, and uh, yeah, no one wants to put on these heavy headsets the whole day, not at all. And this is this is also one of the hurdles, of course, right? Like, this is a very uh, important hurdle to overcome, is the user acceptance, and one of that is the form factor for these devices, uh, but also social acceptance, right? is also important, we all remember a certain company that had a device with the camera on too early, and, you know, they like no one liked it, they were thinking, oh, I gotta, I'm got. i getting filmed all the time. And so this is, of course, not acceptable. And I think AI progress is going to help us where we need less sensors. Maybe we don't even need cameras on these devices to track the room anymore, we'll see. But um, surely the form factor and the user acceptance and the cost, of course, is very important for you know, a good user experience in the end. So this is just from, from these standpoints, but I think there's also two more. Um, and like I said, you know, I think there's three things like device user acceptance. The other one is interoperability. And the third one is responsibility and, and responsible usage. Um, let me dive into the interop part. So interoperability basically means is right now we have all these different platforms. We, we mentioned a few of them. Um, but they don't work together, right? Like, you, if you want to go to Meta, you basically lock yourself into the Meta ecosystem. If you go to Microsoft with Altspace and then Mesh, you go into this ecosystem, right? Or if you're going decentralized with Sandbox, well, you're in Sandbox, right? Um, but that's not the true vision of the Metaverse. The true vision is we have one Metaverse. What we have right now is a multiverse, if you will, like multiple Metaverse platforms. And uh, this is, of course, not great. And this is very important aspect that we work on this interoperability between these different platforms. And for example, I buy an asset in Sandbox, I don't know, like a a head for my avatar, whatever it is, and then I go to Decentraland or to Sonium spaces, just to name another decentralized platform, and I can use the same asset there, right? And that's not working at the moment. Or same thing, right? I have my meta avatar, uh, but my friend is in Altspace from Microsoft, but we can still join the same virtual room kind of a thing. And it shouldn't, that you know, there's this kind of medium break between, uh, the gap, and that that needs to be solved. And I'm glad there's initiatives in that direction. Um, to name is definitely the Metaverse Standards Forum. That's an initiative that was founded a few uh, weeks or months, actually, now ago. Um, and this is aiming to make a lot of these standards uh, for, for example, for interop, but also other things. Um, between all these different platforms. I'm glad all the big players are part of this. Of course, I'm also part of the MetaWare Standards Forum. I'm a member there uh, with, with Reply, of course, our company, but also um, you have the big players like Google, and NVIDIA, but you also have, you know, the, the kind of creator economy. Um, you could also say Unity and Unreal, these 3D engines that developers use to build 3D experiences. Um, these are also creator economy tools, right? Uh, They're also part of this. So you have Google, you have Meta, you have Microsoft, all of them. If you look it up, Metaverse Standards Forum, you see all the big logos on it. And there's uh, always meetings, constantly meetings, like, you know, with standards and to establish these kind of standards so that we can have an open interoperability so that we will actually have this kind of one Metaverse vision in the future. Because, again, right now we have the multiverse, and this could still be the case in the future, right? shouldn't matter, like, if I'm on Altspace, if I'm Decentraland, if I'm in Meta, whatever it is. Uh, I should be able to meet my friends in this kind of common ground, if you will. And uh, for the user experience, it should be one metaverse. And under the hood, it could be the multiverse. Who, who cares? But the key for this is the um, interoperability. It will take us a long time, um, but I'm excited that, you know, everyone, everyone is signing up for this, if you will, and um, are part of this. Another interesting aspect is also the European Commission, um, put it like Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission uh, in her state of the human st- state of the union. Um, she put um, also the metaverse prominently in it. right? Now, this is a big topic for the, the European Commission, uh, similar like in, in other countries and, um, you know, like in the, in the US, for example, they also are working there in, in certain kind of pieces that we can have this, um, you know, regulation as well. Um, Because I think that also needs to be a little bit of regulation in certain aspects. To be honest, I just hope they don't mess it up too much, you know, with regulations, with European Commission, sometimes they are overshooting a little bit. um, And I hope they are actually providing a lot of still open space for innovation and they're not hindering innovation. But like I said, I think certain regulation is important because the responsible usage is also a very uh, important aspect. Because right now it's like the Wild West, you know, it's like, when when the web came out, there was also, you know, everything you could do basically anything you can still do some to certain degrees. Uh, But if you look at certain platforms, I'm not going to to put a name here, but um, certain platforms open You don't need to sign up. You just like, you know, join this a game or app and uh, weird things happen there, right? You have avatars that are doing weird stuff. And uh, the issue is really that, uh, for example, Parents that don't know, they, you know, give give a give a VR device to their kids for Christmas or whatever, and they just use it and then they go into this platform where there's no no check for age or nothing, right? You can just go in and you know, avatars can get very close. And we gotta imagine you're wearing these displays very front and center on your on your face, right? And so there's certain harassment behavior happening and platforms. And so this needs to be solved um, because we need to provide a safe safe place for everyone with a responsible manner. Um, like if you look at uh, Altspace, for example, they have this thing called a safe bubble or a, um, a kind of personal <laughs> bubble. So basically, you, if you enable this, like, like not avatar cannot get closer to you, like, you know, f- three or five feet or something like this, like one, one meter or something or one and a half meter. Um, that's already helping. For example, in in Rec Room, they are testing uh, in AI port speech recognition so that, you know, they will basically, if you say bad stuff, um, you will get probably flagged or something. It's a fine line, right? Because uh, at one end, we want to open innovation, like a, a little bit of anarchy is, is probably good if you, uh, you know, want to innovate fast. But at the same time, like I said, we want to provide a safe place for everyone. And, uh, you know, folks should not get harassed and you might say oh they can always take off the vr headset yes you can of course but just imagine you're much more immersed into these solutions right you're much like you're it's not that easy sometimes you just put it off it's like Oof. you will just stand there and be shocked or something right and uh yeah we gotta definitely work on this and it needs to be a, a high priority for sure because um we cannot like risk that this is becoming a, a bad place for bad actors and uh but don't get me wrong right like Um, Most of the platforms and most of the people are nice, but you always have the bad folks and they mess it up and we got to, you know, put them in the the correct constraints, if you will. And um, we might need virtual bouncers at some point, right? Like, hey, you cannot get in here. You're the bad guy. No, just go. (laughs) I don't know if it's real humans or if it will be bots. We'll see. But um, yeah, one of the hurdles to overcome interoperability needs to be solved. We need to be able to do responsible usage. And we need to have great devices for more immersion. Although we should be device independent, the real deal is always, you know, being able to sit in stereo 3D and spatial sound and so on. So we need smaller devices, better devices that have a a wider user acceptance. Do
2: we need virtual bouncers for the metaverse? That should be the title of this episode. Theo, over to you.
0: I, I agree. I like that. Um, before we close, I do want to ask you. Um, that's something that I know Arun has been thinking about, and we kind of been throwing it back and forth: the world that we're in right now, to the world that eventually will be will be how it will be is evolving. Do you think that vision, that future vision? of where we want to be, will that be a slow evolution of what we have right now in Web2? Or is that going to be something entirely different?
1: It's a a very good question. Again, um, I think it will be both because you see, um, I have a nice graphic, which I typically use in my talks, uh, where there's kind of an overview of all the different Metaverse platforms, where they are categorized by those that are decentralized using blockchain, and those that are not decentralized, that are basically centralized. And you see all the big tech companies, they're all centralized, right? And this is, if you want to call it a web too. Um, and of course, they want to build walled gardens, right? Like you should use this platform and you always got to think about the business model of these companies, like for certain companies, um, they sell services, right? Others, they use user data to make better advertisement, right? So you got to always think about like, what is the business model and what is the purpose? And But I think the biggest innovation right now is definitely coming from uh, web-free or decentralized platforms that are pushing a lot uh, on the envelope here and also working some with Interop already. And uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff coming. So I think web-free will be really, really interesting. We just have to overcome certain aspects when we're thinking about decentralized um, protocols, some blockchain protocols that are too resource intensive, right? I know some are switching to proof of stake. it has you know it's it's good that we don't waste a lot of you know resources with mining and basically just heating up computers in the end um but on the other hand with proof of stake you give a lot of power into it it could potentially be a lot of power into the hands of a very few folks right like proof of stake like if i own a lot of stake in and a certain blockchain well i i can drive decisions better right so it's a fine line and um i think a solution to this could also be uh, um, certain layer one protocols, like basically you're not doing the transaction right on the blockchain, but there is a layer one on top of it, which is, which is less resource intensive, intensive, but also much more performant, much faster the transactions and so on. Um, and uh, you're still though using the blockchain under the hood. Um, so there's certain companies working on this. And I think this could be really a, a solution because, uh, what I'm really excited about is, um with the decentralized aspect is that it's the democratization on you own your assets right like for example if i now go to like on my mobile to a certain app and it needs you to sign in you know most of them have a sign-in option where you can use your meta account your amazon your google your uh, Microsoft account or something like this, right? Now imagine if one of these platforms just shuts down or is not accessible. Well, you cannot use these other third party services because they, this is the identification use. And so the, the really cool part about decentralized identities and the web-free aspects is that, you know, your wallet is your identity basically. And if I wanna take it a step further, I could also potentially connect my avatar and NFT to it. So it's not just, because right now, you have all these different avatar systems, all these different platforms. And if I build an avatar for Meta, I cannot take it to Altspace or the other way around. And so it's really hard to, to share the same kind of visual aspects. And again, we're, we're talking about 3D, right? It's not just a 2D profile picture, but so a 3D avatar. And sometimes you actually want to be the same representation on, on all of these platforms. And I think this is also an opportunity for web-free decentralized identity I'm able to connect my avatar as an NFT to my decentralized identities, and so I think this is uh, this is really uh, an interesting time, and I think it will still need a little bit of work, especially when it comes to uh, you know more sustainability for decentralized protocols um, and the big big tech players of course are still very much invested like meta, Microsoft. Uh, very much investing in that in that world. And so I think they will also push the envelope quite a bit. They, I see some good stuff there, uh, but I'm excited about the decentralization aspect and the whole kind of uh, the vision that is behind it. We just got to work a little bit more to make it in such a way that we're all happy about it, also from the sustainability aspect.
0: I like that a lot. Um, before we close, how do people find out more about your work and also your, uh, content and everything that you create and how does one reach out to you?
1: Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, just, just reach out, um, connect. Um, you can also find me on Twitter and uh, handle is R S C H U. That's probably a good way to, to reach out initially. And then we can, we can take it from there. Uh, but like I also mentioned a little bit, doing another shameless plug. I'm also doing a little video podcast called Meta Minutes. Um, It's like 20 minutes episodes. So also pretty short so that you consume them. And um, I invite expert guests and we talk about aspects of the Metaverse as well. And um, that's also ongoing. And um, yeah, that's probably the best way to reach out.
0: I'll make sure that we include that link uh, when the podcast is uh, being released. So thank you so much for your time today, Renee. it It's been a wonderful conversation, eye-opening as always. And for the rest of our audience, thank you so much for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you all next week.